The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on State of Play, the new uh, journalistic political thriller. With me uh, from our Washington bureau is Dan Coyce. Hi, Dan. Hey, how are you? Can you identify yourself since I don't even know what you are these days? Sure. Uh, I'm a contributing writer for New York Magazine and Vulture, and I'm a movie reviewer for The Washington Post. And also as a new D.C. transplant, you're the perfect companion for this spoiler because you can talk about some of the the D.C. location stuff in this this political thriller. With roughly the same level of knowledge of D.C. as the filmmakers. Right, but perhaps even a better sense of what you can tell me me what your D.C. location choices would have been. So um, as usual, I'm going to lazily throw the plot summary over to you, which with this movie is particularly burdensome because the plot is really, really convoluted and uh, increasingly silly as the movie goes on. It's a, it's set in Washington, D.C., and it follows a um, hard-bitten Washington Globe reporter, Cal McCaffrey, who's played by Russell Crowe, as he follows a increasingly convoluted um, political scandal uh, and murderous plot. It leads off with a double murder uh, on the streets of Georgetown as uh, a kid and a pizza delivery man are murdered by an unknown assassin. Cal is covering the case for the Globe, and he's sort of your traditional hard-bitten reporter who knows everyone and knows everything and has sources everywhere. And the murder quickly becomes linked to Cal's college roommate and close friend, um, Stephen Collins, who's played by Ben Affleck. He's a congressman from Pennsylvania. Um, The kid who was murdered has the phone number of Collins's former aide, Sonia, in his cell phone. And by coincidence or not by coincidence, Sonia also died that exact same morning, stepping out or being pushed out um, in front of a metro train in a metro station. Um, As the plot goes on, we follow Cal and um, uh, another reporter at the paper, Della Fry, who's the paper's Washington blogger. Played by um, Rachel McAdams. Played by Rachel McAdams. um, As they unravel the case and discover that it's all tied up with um, Blackwater-like private security firm that is uh, manipulating congressional hearings. Oh, you forgot Uh, to mention that Ben Affleck's character, the congressman, was actually having an affair with the aide who was killed, right? So it also becomes a sex scandal. So you can see that really within 25 minutes, it becomes almost ridiculously complicated. And then within an hour, it becomes completely ridiculously complicated as it's revealed, first of all, that, yes, Ben Affleck was having an affair with the aide. Then it's revealed that Ben Affleck's wife, played by Robin Wright, um, was having an affair with Russell Crowe. At one point, they were all very close from college. And they, is she uh, still Robin Wright Penn, or did she stop being Robin Wright Penn? I guess she's Robin Wright Penn. Um, even the actors' names are too complicated in this movie. Uh, and, um, and, and to spoil the ending, as this is a spoiler special, um, we can here exclusively reveal that in the silliest plot twist of all, um, it turns out that the deaths at the center of this, in fact, have nothing to do with the private security company, but in fact were all tied to Affleck in the end as a un hinged former military comrade of his who he hired to keep an eye on Sonia, the staffer who he was having an affair with because he didn't trust her, sort of went off the rails, killed her, killed some other people, killed some other people, tried to kill Russell Crowe, and eventually is shot down by cops. Which, as you pointed out, is a very disappointing ending because it closes down the drama back down to this sort of banal love story and the story of a guy having his his girl followed. Basically, he just gets her followed by the wrong person. He gets her followed by an old military buddy who happens to go off the rails and decide to kill her. But all of this more interesting, juicy political stuff that comes out in the middle about, you know, the idea of the privatization of national security, basically, about the the idea that... Can you summarize this for me? Because it's too complicated for me, too. The idea that some huge Blackwater-like firm is essentially trying to insource all security for the 
United States. Right. That things like, you know, domestic wiretapping and things like that are going to be um, auctioned off to to bidders, to private private corporations to bid as opposed to being run out of the government and that one company is actually creating shell corporations to more or less control all domestic uh, surveillance and all sort of domestic issues of national security. I mean, even though that um, seems like a completely feverish kind of conspiracy theory type event that could never actually happen, still the sort of anxieties that it addresses are the most interesting part of the movie, all of which right. get dropped and, at the end. Right. And in like the world of the movie, they're like vaguely plausible as opposed to the completely implausible like personal uh, gymnastics that everyone has to be doing to make this movie work. Like, it's totally implausible that Russell Crowe and Ben Affleck and Robin Wright Penn would have all gone to college together and ended up the places that they ended up and are having affairs with each other. But it's kind of plausible that maybe the government would auction off domestic security to a corporation. I mean, why not? It could happen. But then, as you know, that, that is completely dropped at the end, and it just becomes that Ben Affleck is a crappy boyfriend, and he just hires a jerk to follow his girlfriend, and that he ends up killing her. So let's let's take a break now at the end of that utterly confusing <laughs> plot summary that has everyone just, what? And have a word from our sponsor. And then I want to come back and talk about some of the stuff that we liked about the movie, mainly including some of the performances. Sure. Um, so let's pause there for a word from our sponsor, Audible.com, which is the leading purveyor of spoken audio entertainment on the web, i.e. a really great um, archive of audiobooks. If you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler, not slash slate as I mentioned in the last podcast, but we actually have our own landing page now, so slash spoiler. You can sign up for a great deal with Audible where you get a free audiobook in exchange for a two-week trial. And if you decide not to use your membership and, and drop the, the trial, then you can still keep your book. So our recommendation for this week is All the President's Men, which is available on audiblepodcast.com, narrated by Richard Poe, written, of course, by Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. And I chose that as a recommendation, Dan, also because that movie and, you know, the story in general of the Watergate investigation is referenced all over this movie, despite the fact that, you know, the two scandals have almost nothing in common. Essentially, they're just sort of trying to get some cred by, you know, borrowing some Watergate-related imagery. Could, do right. you remember some of those moments? My favorite one is a moment that echoes the very famous shot in All the President's Men, the film, where the camera pulls up very high as as Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein are investigating in the Library of Congress. Do you remember that that shot? Right. And right. you sort of see the patterns on the floor and you see other people researching and you start to get kind of a sense of the scope of the investigation, even as you sort of get a bigger sense of the scope of the library they're in. And anyway, there's a moment when uh, Russell Crowe is talking to Jeff Daniels, who plays a crooked senator, I believe, right? I don't know if he's a congressman or a senator. He's a senator. He's the majority whip. He's a congressman. He's the majority whip. And the, uh, and the camera pull. They're standing at, I believe they're standing at the mosaic tile floor of the outside of the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, and the camera pulls up in that same way. But there were some other All the President's Men kind of references. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's actual scenes at the at the Watergate. There's, I mean, there's a scene of them walking through the offices in the Watergate. There's, um, there are parking garage. Oh, that's right. The Watergate building itself figures prominently, right. and they're even joking about the fact that somebody, one of the people under investigation, has offices in the Watergate building. Right. Oh, there was one DC location that you, as a new DC resident, wanted to reference. You said that everyone in the DC screening cracked up when they showed this particular place. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's it is as far as DC movies go, it's less embarrassing than most, and it does use some good locations. I mean, it makes good use of some parts of the city that you don't usually see in other movies. It doesn't all happen in the corridors of power. There's a nice scene at Ben's Chili Bowl, which is a beloved. A DC restaurant institution. Um, uh, there's and then, but the scene that got a big laugh here, and anyone who lives in DC will crack up as soon as they see it, is the Americana Motel, which is um, a big and very very ugly motel right off Route 50 in Virginia. As you um, cross 
the bridge on um, from the city by the memorials into the Virginia suburbs. Um, it's this motel that everyone who's ever commuted into the city has driven past 10 million times, but you've never stayed there, and you don't know anyone who's else who's ever stayed there. Uh, and it just looks shady as hell, but um, a, a series of dramatic scenes toward the end of this movie uh, occur in that motel, and when it appeared on screen at the DC screening I went to, everyone cracked up. So it's it's an insider's joke, but it worked for that for that one crowd. But I mean, it, totally it, it works. works for everyone in terms of being a really well chosen, seedy looking motel and a very right. funny place for them to take Jason Bateman's character. Let's talk about what happens at the at the uh, Americana Motel. Um, Jason Bateman plays Dominic Foy, a, a skeezy PR guy in Washington. Believe it or not, Washington has skeezy PR guys like every other city, um, and sort of a Euro trashy party hound who um, was friends with Sonia, the aide who was killed and who it turns out eventually was hired to get her onto uh, Stephen Collins' staff, onto Ben Affleck's staff. It turns out that she was a spy for this Blackwater-type firm. Point Core. Aren't they called Point, Point Core? Core? Which yes. is a great Point sort Core. of generic, scary corporate name. Right. Um, and uh, in one of the many convolutions of plot, it turns out that she at first was betraying Ben Affleck by sending secrets from his committee back to Point Core, but then later she fell in love with him and, in fact, became <gasps> pregnant with his baby before she was killed. But uh, J- this is all revealed via hilarious scene, uh, a set of scenes with Jason Bateman as a slimy PR guy who's chugging liquor and popping downers in an attempt to keep himself calm as he's taken to this slummy, cruddy Americana hotel in the Virginia suburbs, um, the ugliest place he's ever been. Um, He demands compensation from the reporters, from Russell Crowe and Rachel McAdams. But they're too ethical for that. They'll just threaten him and beat him up instead. Right. Russell Crowe, he won't give him money because you can't do that, but he will um, threaten his health, threaten to unveil him to uh, Point Core via their article, and then illegally and immorally and unethically tape everything that he says without his knowledge. Uh, But Jason Bateman is great in this movie. In fact, a lot of the supporting players are fantastic in this movie. Jason Bateman is great and steals every scene that he's in um, Jeff Daniels as the senator who's sort of behind a lot of the machinations of this Blackwater type company is is very uh, funny and interesting and you sort of wish there's a little more of him in the movie and then there you know there are actors like buried in this movie way way deep like poor Viola Davis Oscar nominee Viola Davis has a three line scene as a woman working in the autopsy room yeah when I saw her name in the credits at the end I had to rack my brains to remember when when Viola right. Davis was in it but I'm sure she was cast in the role before all the Oscar buzz about her her last role right and I was I'm a little sure... bit disappointed I have to say I'm sorry go ahead Dan what oh no I was just gonna say I'm sure that this movie Pay, is going to pay for her kids' college as opposed to the small movies that she would have otherwise gotten. Right. So so I just wanted to say I was maybe a little bit disappointed in Helen Mirren, not in her performance itself. She's she's great, but in the role that was written for her. I was just, when you go see a movie with Helen Mirren, of course, you're looking forward to lots of juicy Helen Mirren moments. And I felt like she was sort of plugged in, you know, as right. the ball-busting, hard-ass editor of the Washington Globe, the kind of Ben Bradley of the movie, and didn't really get any chance to explore, you know, her co- character had zero conflict, zero ambiguity, and, you know, had some funny lines, but essentially sort of just functioned as the mean boss. Right. I mean, she was basically there to be J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, she had no, she was not meant to be a character so much as she was meant to be the... Is that the Spider-Man editor's name? Right, yeah. (laughs) You would know that. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, she was playing a British J. Jonah Jameson. She's just there to yell at people and tell them that she can't, absolutely cannot hold this deadline any longer. And then they say, hold the deadline. And then you see her exasperated. I mean, that was the entire thing. Speaking of casting, we were also going to touch on the uh, the 
actors formerly cast in the main two roles. I was just reading about some uh, casting problems this movie had. It kept falling apart, and you know they would have to find new actors. And initially, the the first talent to sign on to the to the script was Brad Pitt, who was going to play the Russell Crowe role, and Ed right. Norton was going to play the Ben Affleck role of the of the Politico. And the movie would have been so profoundly different, and I think worse with those actors. What do you think? Uh, well, it was based on a. a very beloved and pretty great um, six-hour British miniseries, which was directed, if I recall, by David Yates, who later ended up directing two of the Harry Potter movies, the last one and this next one. And it's a fan... I mean, it's a wonderful miniseries and very tense and exciting and, you know, boiled down to this two hours is obviously not going to be quite as great. But yeah, the original people who were associated with it were Pitt and Norton. Um, And Edward Norton potentially would have been a great step up from Ben Affleck in playing the congressman as something other than a wounded meathead. But the idea of Brad Pitt as like a seasoned, dyed-in-the-wool Washingtonian who covers his beat uh, and, you know, hangs out at Ben's Chili Bowl and is friends with the cops is, is honestly hilarious. Like, all I can imagine is Brad Pitt as his character from Burn After Reading, the other Washington movie he ended up instead, like, running around drinking Jamba Juice and trying to get people to talk to him, and it just makes me laugh and laugh. Yeah, absolutely, because Brad Pitt is so much better at pretending to not be very smart. I'm sure he is a smart guy, but right. I, I, he doesn't play smart very well, and I think no. Russell Crowe actually was, was pretty great in this role. Russell Crowe starts out great in this role, and, and as the movie goes on... The role makes, makes you, no sense. I mean, the, right. nobody could be great in it. In the right, end. but he makes you realize what a good actor he is because he sells even the most unsaleable of moments. I mean, really, really well. He's fantastic in this, and he is he's a believable reporter and in you know and plenty of guys from australia can't even be believable americans so last thing to touch on uh the question of journalistic ethics is probably too big to even get into here it's just <laughs> is there a single thing that the reporters do in this movie that any reporter could legally be allowed to do and would their scoops even be publishable with the way that they treated their sources uh i mean no of course not but it's a it was a movie you know they there's a fun piece in the washington post that people should try and find in last sunday's post by a, a post metro reporter who ended up being like the journalism advisor on this movie and i think that he thought that he was going to have a great effect on uh, the script in terms of telling them, I'm sorry, you cannot do this. A reporter would never do this. But it turns out that he really didn't have that much effect on them. You know, when they do things like record people illegally and he would say, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. They just did it anyway. But instead, what he ended up doing, according to the story, was they would call him in the, in the middle of the night and say, what do journalists wear? And he would say, well, right now, you know, I'm I'm wearing a suit, a rumpled suit. And they'd be like, great. And then they'd run <laughs> off and recreate the rumpled suit. And Start Russell rumpling. Crow, Start rumpling, right, people. Right. And so Russell Crowe would be like, what kind of notebook do you use? And so you can see in the movie, Russell Crowe has very authentic reporter's notebooks strewn all over his like, 1990 sob. It is quite endearing, actually, though, that he sort of stands for the old world newspaper that's that's dying out and that uh, right. Della Fry, the McAdams character, is the vlogger, you know. And uh, there are a couple moments, some sort of nods at the death of the printed newspaper and the sort of throes of the newspaper industry that I found right. kind but of this, touching. But this movie is really, it's not meant to be an elegy. It's meant to be fighting. It's raging against the dying of the light. I mean, it. the Rachel McAdams arc, if you want to call it that, that she plays a blogger, Della Fry, who through researching the story with Russell Crowe learns that blogging isn't everything. And sometimes a, a real newspaper story is what it really takes to make a journalist out of you. And she actually has this, oh, this sad, sad line at the end that just made our entire theater wince when they're talking, they're reminiscing about the great story that they're uncovering. And, and she says, you know, a, a story this big, people ought to have newsprint on their hands when they read it. 
So the, so the audience of, of mainly, I would imagine, DC journalists that you saw the movie with were, were touched by that, or were they who? No, I think that even DC journalists at this point are too cynical to believe that our own industry has a future. <laughs> Well, and I found very elegiac the last the, the closing titles of the movie, which you said also got laughs at your screening. But they essentially show the big scoop that they've spent the entire movie working on, um, right. which, which turns out to be this really disappointing headline of what congressman congressman arrested, arrested. <laughs> right in in for in his role in th- four murders with it, with, with the huge Blackwater scoop. I, I assume buried right on page like right. D eight or something like right. that. So we see that headline going to press from. Top to bottom, we basically see like the, the negatives being put on some sort of a microfilm machine and then magnified and sent into the giant presses. And I, I sort of thrilled to see the, the production of, a, of an old world newspaper. Right. Well, as a guy whose grandfather used to set type, I mean, my grandfather was a typesetter for the Milwaukee Journal, and that's a job that doesn't even exist anymore. And so to see them shooting negatives and, and feeding those negatives into the presses and stuff was really interesting. But, but the headline that they're printing, as you note, is totally depressing because – in, I, I would imagine that in the real world of journalism, and in fact, probably in this movie, the Blackwater stuff is not even going to make it into the story because that stuff came from an anonymous source. They're not going to be able to back it up. They would be very, very, very easy to sue them on that basis because they would have they would not be able to back that up at all with their anonymous source who they cannot reveal and would not reveal. Um, and so they would be left wide open to legal action from point core. Uh, and since it's not germane to this story as it ends up, because it turns out that this woman died because Ben Affleck was a jerk, not because of her connection to national security issues, that's never going to make it into the story. And so this big scoop is just sort of a sorted in the end, sex scandal, the sort of sex scandal that everyone thought it might be at the beginning, as opposed to some big, exciting, world-changing, national security-threatening issue of the sort that reporters really want to get into. Oh, we suck, Dan. Our profession yeah. our profession is in sad, sad shape. But you know what? We wear rumpled suits really well. I'm wearing one right now. All right, Dan, thanks a lot for uh, coming to join me on this Slate Spoiler Special podcast. My pleasure. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.